This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, December 9th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, man dead in vehicle explosion, county approves new community housing zone district, a new act for Telluride Theater, and a mountain weather forecast. A man's death is under investigation after his remains were found in a burning car early Thursday morning. The San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, Telluride Marshal's Department, and Telluride Fire Protection District responded to a call around 2 a.m. Thursday morning after receiving reports of gunshots and a car engulfed in flame in the Mill Creek area. Upon arrival, they did find a car engulfed in flames, and unfortunately there was a gentleman inside who um, was found to be deceased. That's San Miguel County Sheriff's Office Public Information Officer Susan Lilly. It appears that this individual was uh, living out of his car and using a camping stove to stay warm. According to Lilly, law enforcement is unable to release any information on the identity of the man at this time. She adds, following an initial investigation, deputies did not find any evidence of gunshots. It appears that perhaps the sounds that were heard that sounded like gunfire were actually small propane tanks exploding in the fire. A report from Sheriff Bill Masters says they believe the death was an accident. Masters adds, while individuals continue living in their cars in the area, the potential for death is an unfortunate reality. Lily encourages anyone who is unhoused or needs support to reach out to local resources. But she recognizes the limitations. But the simple fact is, is that we are in a housing crisis. It's, it's probably the worst it's ever been. And um, it's not anything that the sheriff's office or any one office is going to be able to wave a magic wand and make this problem go away. This is a, a long-term problem that requires multiple agencies and multiple efforts, but certainly we encourage any individual who is in need of anything, whether it's housing, mental health, food, uh, or any of those resources to, to use the county resources that are in place. Lily says the sheriff's office expresses its deepest condolences for the family of the man. San Miguel County took another step toward addressing the regional housing crisis this week, but it wasn't with construction or regulatory restrictions. Instead, it was through zoning and the creation of a new community housing zone district. KOTO spoke with County Planning Director Kay Simonson about the move and the impacts it could have on housing in the region. Kay, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me. For starters, Kay, can you just explain what the new Community Housing Zone District is? Well, we wanted to reduce some of the barriers to creating affordable housing. Of course, finding suitable land is a challenge. Finding water to serve that is a huge challenge here. But we felt that from a regulatory standpoint, we could at least make it easier to get through the process. So instead of you know having it protracted for years, if somebody brought us a suitable piece of land and, and water, we could get it done in a matter of months. And so what are the ways that this zone district allows for that? I mean, when I think of ways to solve our housing crisis, zoning, I'm not going to lie for me, at least, is not the first thing that comes to mind. So what are the new tools and abilities that this district um, would allow? This would allow the development of housing to serve the people who live and work in our community. 
single-family, two-family, multi-family rooming houses, and even uh, throwing in uh, what we call alternative living spaces, which could be a tiny home. And instead of having it go through, as I said, the very lengthy process, it's a use by right. People can could propose to do up to 20 units per acre, which is pretty dense. It's denser than the historic district of Telluride, um, a little bit denser than Lawson Hill even. Also setting really minimal standards in terms of things like setback and height, you know, just enough parking, not putting a lot of heavy criteria on it that would make it more expensive or more difficult for people to meet. So essentially, if a developer says, I have this idea and I want to do it, what this new zone district does is it just dramatically paves the way for them and the hope would then be to incentivize more projects like that? That's absolutely correct. Trying to remove barriers, open doors, let people bring us ideas and uh, you know potential suitable land so that we can respond nimbly is what we're really trying to do. And how innovative is this? I mean, did the county base this off of something other communities were doing, or is this a rather new thing? We're kind of new. I did some research trying to find affordable housing zones. Most communities try to integrate their affordable housing and community housing units within the fabric of the overall neighborhoods. The market here doesn't work that way. We can't do it. So we need to create these communities that are specifically for the people that live and work here, separate from the very expensive free market. So we're a bit out on the cutting edge here, maybe. Well, given, as you say, this is a rather innovative approach, and the ultimate goal is going to be to get affordable housing going, what are your hopes for this new zone district in the coming months and years to make that goal a reality? I hope that within the next year or so, we see uh, somebody actually utilize this district. There have been people who have brought ideas forward that the process has been a barrier to them. So maybe this will help move some people along. This is not the simplest thing, and there is a lot of jargon that goes into all of this. It's not always the easiest to follow. So can you also just convey to our listeners, I mean, how big is this? Is this a big step, a medium step? How, how consequential is the creation of this new zone district in our effort to solve our regional housing crisis? We're opening the door. The solution is going to come when people actually can find us the land that will work and also places that are suitable and can be served. I really would hope that we're going to see some of those soon. First step in a long journey. Yes, exactly. Kay Simonson, Planning Director for San Miguel County, thank you so much for taking some time and talking to us about the new Community Housing Zone District, which the county just approved this week. Thank you. A new act is beginning for Telluride Theater. Last month, the local nonprofit's board accepted the resignation of Colin Sullivan, who had served as executive director for the last decade. We're bummed. I think it would be the word, but we're also, I think, really excited for change. That's Telluride Theater Board President Ashley Story. She declined to comment further on Sullivan's resignation, other than to say the decision was reached, quote, amicably. I think everyone felt like it was ultimately the, the right decision. Sasha Cuccinello will stay on as artistic director, but moving forward, Story says, the executive director position will be replaced with a new position of producing director. That person, Story says, will support productions and manage the company's finances. We felt like, you know, in Telluride Theater, 
it's a small company, so it's kind of all hands on deck. And so giving somebody the title of executive director made it sound like they were kind of above everything else and not really like in the trenches with everyone, which is actually really what the job was. Melissa Turn, who has worked with Telluride Theater for many years, will serve as interim producing director for the next few months. She really understands um, what Telluride Theater does. And um, she's going to be in that role from December um, until March. And in that time, the Telluride Theater is going to do like a nationwide search and, you know, local as well for this producing director position. Moving forward, Story says, the theater company also aims to seek out new voices to feature on stage. The community loves Sasha and Colin. They're they're much, much adored. But we also feel like their voices can be heard and, and there's space for others. Like there's so much room in this community for something totally different. So that, I think that's probably going to be a big change that we're really actively working towards um, as an organization is that, you know, expanding the voices that that Telluride Theater presents. It's a time of change for Telluride Theater, but through it all, the show goes on. Next week, the theater is putting on its Cheap Thrills burlesque show and the House of Shimmy Shakes holiday extravaganza. Both shows are 21 and up at the Sheridan Opera House. And next week, Story says, the theater board is slated to approve the company's season of shows for 2022. Believe what you will, but... At least this week, it looks like the snow dances have been working. And when it comes to opening lifts on the Telluride Ski Resort, recent storms mean things are moving in the right direction. Mother Nature stepped in and and given us um, a good bump when we really needed one. That's Telski Director of Mountain Operations, Scott Pittenger. But that bump comes after some less than stellar weeks. Unfortunately, leading up to this storm, we've been battling with warm temperatures and diluted snowmaking opportunities. All in all, Pittenger says the resort is about two weeks behind where they'd like to be for snowmaking. But with the recent and upcoming storms, they're hoping to have lifts 5 and 6 open by next weekend, in addition to lifts 1 and 4, which are already open. He also thinks they'll be able to open some new terrain around lift 4 this weekend. When it comes to steeper areas, Pittenger says that'll be tougher to pin down. We're dealing with really high avalanche danger out there. The snow from October um, faceted basically top to bottom. Um, so we're taking a very you know deliberate approach into getting into our steeper terrain. In the meantime, he says, the resort is also making snow as fast as they can. We're expecting to have, you know, a generally good amount of terrain open for the holidays, like about what we normally see during the holidays. You know, we're never quite 100% open, but we like to be somewhere in that 75% range with most of the lifts running uh, to really spread folks out. The heavy snowfall expected over the next few days should be good for those itching to get on the mountain, but it also brings increased dangers. With one to two feet of total snow accumulation and wind gusts as high as 40 miles per hour expected over Thursday and Friday, the National Weather Service has issued a winter storm warning through Friday at 6 p.m. for regions including San Miguel County. The Colorado Avalanche Information Center says the storm will create very dangerous avalanche conditions in the northern San Juans, with northerly facing slopes being the most dangerous, including areas at and below treeline. Traveling in avalanche terrains is not recommended from Thursday evening through Friday.
the holidays are a festive time. Sometimes that festivity comes with libations aplenty. And according to a recent survey, a lot of people don't think it needs to be 5 o'clock for those December drinks. 1.47 p.m. That's the time Coloradans consider acceptable to begin drinking over the holidays. That finding comes from a survey by Detox.net. The Colorado time is about an hour earlier than the national average of 2.42 p.m. But even then, about one in five Coloradans surveyed admit they bend the rules and drink before lunchtime. But no matter what time it is, it's always important to drink responsibly. If you need support for substance use challenges, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Hotline is available 24-7 in English and Spanish at 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. The Telluride Yoga Festival will move their festival headquarters and campus from the town of Telluride to the town of Mountain Village for 2022. The festival started in Mountain Village, but since 2018 has taken place in Telluride, with its headquarters at the Telluride High School. Organizers say the move will provide more fluidity and ease in transitioning in and out of classes. But housing was also a factor in the decision. According to a press release, the festival owners felt it made sense to move to Mountain Village, where there are more beds available and properties that are often less expensive than Telluride in the summer. The 14th Annual Telluride Yoga Festival will take place Thursday, June 23rd through Sunday, June 26th, 2022. Passes are now available at TellurideYogaFestival.com. A Western Colorado newspaper publisher, who gushed about Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert last summer, has penned an editorial declaring he is one of a growing number of conservatives who have had enough of her, quote, antics. From our Rocky Mountain Community Radio partner station, KVNF, Gavin Dahl shares this interview. Dennis Anderson, the publisher of the Montrose Press and the Delta County Independent, penned a new editorial last week under the headline, Opinion. It's time to move on from Boebert's antics. He calls Congressmember Lauren Boebert, quote, an embarrassment to Western Colorado. At different points, he writes that her behavior is, quote, sophomoric, boorish, immature, and even pathetic. He ends the piece saying he hopes a different candidate can return some dignity to the office of the 3rd Congressional District we call home. But Anderson is not someone opposed to Boebert simply because of her party affiliation. What makes his new editorial so significant is it demonstrates how disillusioned he has become after editorializing in support of her last year. When Boebert upset four-term incumbent Scott Tipton in the primary that summer, Anderson gushed about her in an editorial, writing, quote, She's the real deal when it comes to conservative values. He asserted, quote, Her convictions are deep-rooted, adding, quote, She's a devout Christian and seemingly walks the walk. Now, Anderson points to her insults and says she truly represents only, quote, her own selfish ambitions, making up outlandish stories to give a false narrative to her shtick that she's a freedom fighter. Newspaper publisher and occasional columnist Dennis Anderson joins me by phone. Thank you so much for speaking with Mountain Grown Public Radio, Dennis. Thank you, Gavin. In your column, you make clear you're no fan of Democratic Congressmember Elon Omar, you don't agree with her agenda, you write, but, quote, that agenda can be fought without denigration of her religion. Congressmember Lauren Boebert's Islamophobia upsets you. In your editorial, you state plainly, quote, it doesn't represent the core values of Western Colorado. Talk about 
your core values? You know, I moved to Delta when I was a sophomore, between my freshman and sophomore year in high school. My grandparents moved here in 1958. And, you know, my belief that Western Colorado core values that we pick each other up, we work for each other. We have respect for each other and our differences in, in, I believe, in Western Colorado between our Caucasian community and our Hispanic community, and we have a wide variety of religions. We just don't cast aspersions on each other like that, you know, to say that, oh, she didn't have a backpack, so we're fine. And then to find out that she didn't even have that conversation, uh, it's just not who we are. Just to pump up a crowd or keep pumping that rhetoric out there. It makes the nation think that Western Colorado's, you know, a bit backwards. So, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. You write about the politicians you've known and covered over the course of your career, pointing out, quote, they simply don't carry themselves in this manner. I remember during uh, phone interviews with Scott Tipton in Washington, D.C., wishing he would deviate from the talking points sometimes and tell us whether he was really passionate about the topics we discussed. Bobert's got no shortage of passion, but she seems more interested in trolling the libs than, say, getting things accomplished on behalf of constituents. Last time I checked, she'd sponsored more than 20 bills in the House with none earning any bipartisan support. Most of her legislation is, you know, political theater, like her bill to impeach President Joe Biden, generating donation checks and social media clicks. When you contrast Bobert's style with, say, Montrose Republican State Senator Don Corum, it's clear to me who's more effective at serving in government by any measure. As a moderate who works across the aisle, Corum has been a power broker throughout his many years at the Capitol. Dennis, doesn't Bobert's behavior reflect where the Republican Party is going in the age of Trump? Mm, nope, I don't. I don't agree with that, Gavin. I think Bobert's behavior is a minority in the Republican Party. If I speak to Don Corum and I talk to other Republicans who uh, support Don. And I was at the Central Committee meeting in Montrose County a couple months ago, and there was a small group that was attacking Don for helping out with comprehensive sex education. Somebody pointed out that he was 85% favorable to the uh, LGBT community. And what Don came back with was, you have to either be on the menu or be eaten. And he's uh, he's wanting a seat at the table and, and bills that are very unfavorable to us, he gets the best out of them, where Bober doesn't even want to be at the table. Those bills you talk about that she writes, they read like her tweets and are just uh, attacks, and they don't move the conservative agenda at all, what I could see. You might as well just throw them in the recycle bin. They're just worthless. My guest is Dennis Anderson, the publisher of the Montrose Press and the Delta County Independent. His latest column is titled Opinion, It's Time to Move On from Bobert's Antics. You write that you asked a group of conservatives, fed up with Bobert's behavior, what they're going to do about it. They said vote. And this is so interesting. The Denver Post reported recently Bobert has 30 times more cash on hand than her next closest challenger. A political scientist in the Denver Post pointed to many donors who see offending Democrats as a positive thing. Bobert's only competition in the Republican primary, Marina Zimmerman, hasn't even filed finance reports with the FEC yet. The leading Democratic challenger, of course, State Senator Carrie Donovan, dropped out of the race when the redistricting committee drew her out of CD3 and the newly approved congressional maps. You've piqued the interest of a lot of readers, I'm sure, Dennis, with how you concluded your editorial. You write, quote, the scuttlebutt is that an announcement is coming soon and the candidate is someone that has a real chance at winning. Let's hope so, because it may be the only hope to return some dignity to the office. 
Is there anything more you can tell us about this since your column went to print? I can't say anything about the first year. I'm embargoed on that one. But uh, the candidate that I'm understanding is going to announce after the first year is a, I think a lot of people are really going to like. I agree with you that this person's behind the eight ball as far as fundraising and, and Bobert's out there. But then I saw, and this is national, it's not local, but Bobert has a 6% favorable rating, which is extremely low. And when you talk to Republican voters in the community of Montrose and Delta, you, you hear a lot of the silent majority saying, yep, I voted for, I'm really disappointed, uh, I probably won't vote for next year in the primary. It's hard to tell. I don't think it's a, an election that can be predicted because people are, are afraid to come up and say, or come out and say, I'm not voting for Bobert. Uh, when I wrote that column last week, my email blew up, and uh, there were some favorable emails, but there was a lot of, uh, what, are you a Muslim now? Are you a liberal? Are you, you know, name-calling? And that's what she she tends to, to draw out of people. That's Dennis Anderson, the publisher of the Montrose Press and the Delta County Independent. How does your opinion impact the news coverage in your papers? Well, it, it doesn't. I'm not the editor, so I don't sit over there and I don't I don't tell the editorial team what to write about. I don't I don't criticize what they write about. I tell them always to be unbiased. Don't editorialize your stories. So uh, as far as my opinion, that's why my name's on it and not you know, the Montrose Daily Press or the Delta County Independent Editorial Board. Those are my opinions. And I believe if you're going to write an opinion, you should put your name on it. Dennis Anderson, thank you so much for speaking with KVNF. Thank you, Gavin. Have a good day. That was KVNF's Gavin Dahl speaking to Dennis Anderson, the publisher of the Montrose Press and the Delta County Independent, about his column, It's Time to Move On from Bobert's Antics. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low in the mid-teens. Wind could gust as high as 25 miles per hour, and 5 to 9 inches of new snow accumulation is possible. Friday, expect snow showers in the morning with a high in the mid-teens, and wind gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. 2 to 4 inches of new snow accumulation is possible. Friday night should be mostly cloudy with a low around 0 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 20 miles per hour. Saturday calls for sunny skies with a high around freezing. Saturday night should be mostly clear with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, December 9th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hey, out there in Winterland. Thank God we got some snow, eh? Uh, This is Colin Sullivan and Craig Childs coming at you. We have a show with uh, ourselves and some friends out in Norwood this Saturday at 7 p.m. And um, we got a half full house already on our Eventbrite um, ticketing link, but you can buy tickets at the door as well. Craig, why don't you tell me a little bit about Dark Knight? (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Colin. Uh, you and I are doing this thing together. Yeah, <laughs> we we are stirring the cauldron, and this uh, this Dark Knight show. Mm. Uh, this is the thirteenth year of it in Paonia, where where I started it, and the idea was to get together in the middle of winter. And I know it doesn't seem like the middle right now, but you know we're coming up toward summer sol or winter solstice, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is when you know for thousands of years we've gotten together. Uh, 
northern hemisphere when it gets dark when it gets cold we gather and we tell stories and we keep each other going um but my what, people your people the celts yeah. as it were yeah. <laughs> well i think just everybody maybe everybody yeah. i think northern hemisphere people i mm-hmm. mean i don't know what they do in the south <laughs> yeah but in the north when it starts getting dark uh we kind of hold each other together or we we have uh people have around around the globe traditionally in winters mm-hmm. and that's what we're doing this year we have some exciting collaborators with us um claire zane and uh, megan mccormick and a couple other folks are coming out from paonia because they're going to be in the paonia shows the next week and um annika dean um yeah. a local violinist um is actually gonna she's gonna be playing a little bit of violin in the show but actually also gonna be um debuting some of her original um songs which is really great yeah and this is this is going to be a mix of experiences, uh, spoken word, personal stories, uh, uh, some, it, the theme is death, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it seems like the year to be looking at this, to be considering who we've lost. And, you know, that's a, it's a thing about winter. We, I think we come close to death. We're, we're close to the darkness, close to the cold. And, mm-hmm. and so that's why we get together to, to tell these stories and explore these ideas. Death is transition, death is resurrection, those kind of things yeah. as well in here. Yeah. And death as celebration. Uh, yes, death is celebration. You know, it, it feels like life, death, life, death, they're mm-hmm. both inevitable, which yes. means life is inevitable if we, if we have death. There you go, everybody. We figured it out. We have. Right you could here. come to the show or just re-listen to this commentary. <laughs> um, Craig, thanks for uh, thanks for chatting a little bit. And um, if you want to hear us chat a little bit more with some friends, then you're going to show up at the livery in Norwood at 7 p.m. I believe doors are at six o'clock or six thirty. Six thirty. Six thirty there. And um, yeah, you can pay right at the door there and have an experience. Let's come out and celebrate some death. Indeed. Take care of yourself out there. Take care of yourself. The Telluride Choral Society invites you to join us for Wintersing 2021, a new joy. The Telluride Choral Society, under the direction of Rhonda Muckerman, is thrilled to finally be reunited after a year and a half pandemic hiatus. Featuring the choristers, Omne Voci, the chorale, and chamber singers, we will be celebrating the season with some of our favorite holiday music, with accompaniment by Susan Ensor, Travis Fisher, and Mary Beth Tuckman. And this year, the children are directed by our school's Katrina Allmiller. This will be Rhonda Muckerman's final concert with the Telluride Choral Society after 12 years of being the artistic director, so you won't want to miss this special event. Performances will take place on Friday, December 10th at 7 p.m. at Christ Church and Sunday, December 12th at 4 p.m. at Christ Church. Tickets are $20 for adults and $10 for children and are available at the door. And don't forget to bring your masks and proof of vaccination and or a recent COVID test. This is Jenny Fraser from the Coral Society. I'll see you there 
And thank you, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.